How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? amen. God is good. And all the time. Good to see you this morning. As we're getting ready to turn to the Word of God, I want to remind you, uh, just as the announcement uh, made it clear, that we're having our ABBA conference uh, on March 8th, Saturday, March 8th. If you have been around Living Hope for any time at all and you want a, a, a healthy dose of the Living Hope DNA of who we are and understanding what it is that we feel that God has given us to instill into every life and every heart, you've got to be at that ABBA conference. It's completely free. We're asking you not to invite people from the outside. It's not big. It's just for people in the house who are members or wanting to be members of the church, are interested in membership in the church, and who want a deeper dose of of what it is that God has. We do this every year, and it's always a highlight. And uh, so it's available to you. It's absolutely free, and we're providing lunch as well. That's Saturday, March 8th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., and there's four stations, Discovering Your Purpose, which is why you exist, your identity, which is who you are, your nature, which is what you are, and your mission, which is what you're supposed to do. And so understanding those four things, getting a a solid grasp on them, we find that if you talk to anybody in this house who's been through the ABBA conference, they'll tell you that it changed their life. And so we really, really want you to get a hold of that, and we're offering it to you absolutely free because we are so convinced of the power of it uh, to change your life. So um, be here for that. All right, this is part six of our 10-part finance series, and uh, we are taking one verse at a time of Psalm chapter 112, and today we are on the sixth verse. So close your Bibles, uh, turn off your iPhones and your iPads. Uh, I'm going to give you this verse, and and you don't need to look at it because it's short, and you're going to memorize it this morning. Every Sunday, every every one of these, uh, these messages, we've been memorizing the verse, so when you go home... You've got it. You can meditate, it on, meditate on it, and you possess it in your heart. Psalm 112, verse 6, it says, Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. Repeat after me. Surely the, repeat after me. <laughs> repeat after me. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. Say it again. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. Say it again. Now say the whole verse. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. Again. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. One more time. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. Say it again. Now look at somebody right now and just preach it to them. Preach it like you're the preacher. Look at somebody next to you and just preach it to them right now. Amen. One person. One person. One person. One person. Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would grant us wisdom and revelation as we look into the pages of your word. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds. Change us today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message this morning is, Abigail is on the way. Abigail is on the way. I want you to know today that your Abigail is on the way. I know that you've been dealing with Nabal, but your Abigail is on the way. Now, this verse says that the righteous will never be shaken. And many of you here today, the enemy has been trying very hard to shake you. Do you know what shaken baby syndrome is? You've seen that website, don'tshakeababy.com? Isn't it common sense that you don't shake a baby? They got a website to teach you that you should not shake a baby. No matter how frustrated you get, you don't shake a baby. Why? Because if you take a baby and violently shake that baby, that baby will suffer from shaken baby syndrome. thing we need to understand is that the force of shaking a child is five to ten times greater than if the child were to trip and fall by themselves. When your baby is learning to walk and it stumbles and falls, that baby might fall on its face, but it gets up smiling. It might cry for a minute, 
but it gets up smiling. Your baby might even roll off the bed sometimes. You ever had your baby roll off the bed? Yes. My daughter, when she was two years old, she, she, she jumped out of her, cli- her crib like she was on the top rope in a WWF wrestling match. <laughs> she climbed up on top of that crib and jumped and blam, hit the floor and started crying. They can recover from that stuff. But when you violently shake a baby, the damage is five to ten times worse than if the child were to fall down and hurt itself. A child can fall and even hit its head, but the damage is not as severe as if you were to take that baby and shake it. Now, many in the body of Christ are suffering from shaken baby syndrome. And the thing you need to understand is that even if you trip and fall down, it's not as damaging as if you allow the enemy to shake you. Some of you here have tripped and fallen. The Bible says a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up again. But the scripture says that the righteous will never be shaken. You can't allow the enemy to shake you even for a moment. Because if you allow the enemy to shake you, the damage done to your spiritual life is five to ten times worse than if you trip and fall down. So what happens when you shake a baby? What are the symptoms of shaken baby syndrome? The first symptom is brain swelling, swelling of the brain. There's some folks in this room right now, and you're suffering from swelling of the brain, the spiritual brain, that is. The second symptom is developmental delays, developmental delays. Stuff you should have learned by the time you were four, it took you till you were 14 to learn it. And maybe some of them you never learned in your life because you were shaken as a baby. There's some believers who have been saved 20 years and they still act like they've been saved for two weeks. Because they're suffering from shaken baby syndrome and there's been some developmental delays. The third result is blindness, hearing loss, or paralysis. You can't see what God is doing. You can't hear what God is saying, and you can't go where God is going because you've been shaken. You're suffering from shaken baby syndrome. And the fourth symptom of shaken baby syndrome is death. Spiritual death. Even though you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're living as if you were still dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once walked. Spiritual death, even people walking away from their spiritual life, walking away from their faith in Christ because they were shaken too hard and they're experiencing shaken baby syndrome. You know, a lot of stuff happens when you get shaken. I mean, can you imagine an adult, like if an adult gets shaken, like like, uh, Juan, stand up. So if Lorenzo were to come over here and grab Jason and just shake the mess out of him, try it, just shake, just shake him, just, sh- okay, that's, yeah, that's, that's feeble, take a seat, take a seat, that's feeble. If a giant were to grab Juan, pick him up off the ground and just shake the mess out of what do you think would happen if a giant just grabbed Juan and just shook the mess out of him? First thing that would happen is that his clothes would come undone, right? I mean, his garments, I mean, he looks all neat right now, you know, ironed his shirt, borrowed a tie, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a clip on, but that's okay. If somebody, when you get shaken, the, that neatness of your garments, it's gone. Now your shirt comes untucked, your jacket's all wrinkled and all over the place, ties sticking up half. I mean, if you really get shaken, your garments come undone. Now garments in scripture always refer to your countenance. When the Bible says to clothe yourself in strength, it's talking about taking strength Onto your countenance so that when people look at you, they see strength. The first thing that happens when the enemy uh, shakes you is your garments come undone. Your garments of strength. You can look at somebody and see that they're walking in strength. But you can look at someone who's been shaken and see that they're walking in weakness. I mean, when you've been shaken, it shows up on your countenance. People can look in your face and see that your garments have come undone because you've allowed the enemy to shake you. The second thing that happens when you get shaken is that stuff starts flying out of your pockets. I mean, think of you pick one up and just shake the mess out of him. All of a sudden, his cell phone flies out and goes flying across the room. Some of you, the enemy shook you so hard that you lost your spiritual cell phone, which is your ability to communicate with other people. 
That is, you lost contact with people that you should still be in contact with. You lost touch. Come on, say amen, somebody. Tell me you're with me this morning. Don't sit there and leave me alone like that. You've lost contact with folks that are vital connections in your life because the enemy took your cell phone and your entire contact list and isolate. You've been shaken so hard that you're isolated. You say, I haven't heard from so-and-so in six months. What happened? The enemy shook him so hard that his cell phone went flying out of his pocket and your money went flying out of your pocket. You shake somebody hard enough, their money, their change, their dollars will go flying out of their pocket. Some of you, the enemy has shook you so hard. He shook your finances right right out of your pocket. You possessed it one minute and lost it the next and you have no idea where it went because the enemy shook you so hard that you lost stuff so quick that you didn't even realize you lost it till later. And then your keys fly out of your pocket. The ability to transport yourself from one place to another. You lost the power of movement. You can't access your spiritual vehicle anymore. You can't even get into your own house. Can you imagine coming home late at night realizing you don't have the keys to your own house? can't even get into your own house. Do you realize that your place in the presence of God, I'm talking about that place when you get on your knees and begin to pray and God's presence comes, that place of communion with him, that's your house. That's the place where you rightfully dwell. But some of you have been shaken so hard that you say, I can't even feel God anymore. I can't even come into his presence anymore. You're locked out of your own house because the enemy shook the keys right out of your pockets because you've been shaken. But worse, worse than anything, when you get shaken, your brain moves around in your head, in your skull. Your brain moves around in your skull. And that's the greatest problem with shaken baby syndrome, is that if you shake a baby, the brain inside that baby's skull gets jostled, and it actually begins to tear away in strategic places. And there's, there's tearing of the actual tissue of the brain, and it causes swelling of the brain and brain damage. You lose access to truth. When your brain starts to swell, you lose access to truth. You can't think of things that, you used, things that used to come to your mind. You can't call them to mind anymore. Things that you used to live with a consciousness of, you're not conscious of them anymore because you've been shaken. You're suffering from shaken baby syndrome. How, there's somebody, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but some of you in this room right now are suffering from spiritual shaken baby syndrome. But there's a reason it's called shaken baby syndrome. Notice there's no shaken adult syndrome. Because you can try to shake me if you want, but you can't shake me the way you can shake a baby. See, a baby's spinal cord hasn't strengthened the way mine has. Try to shake me, Jason. Come on, try to shake. You can't shake me. My brain ain't going nowhere. You can't shake me. I might move a little bit, but my keys are still in my pocket. My cell phone's still in my pocket. My money is still in my pocket. And my brain is not moving. You're not going to move my brain. When you grow up, you come to the place where you can walk through adversity and say, you're not moving my brain. Now, when the Bible says that the righteous will never be shaken, the scripture is speaking of the fully grown righteous. The problem is that if you're still in your infancy, when you walk through adversity, you get shaken by that adversity and you get all of the results of the swelling of the brain. But when you come into your maturity, you don't have to be shaken anymore because you can stand against the wiles of the devil. And that's what God is doing in our lives. Amen. The righteous will never be shaken. Righteousness means living in faithful covenant relationship. That's what righteousness is. Righteousness means living in faithful covenant relationship. It means walking in right relationships. That's what righteousness is. It's being right. With God and with people. Not being right intellectually. Trying to be right in an argument. It's being right in your relationship. See, we will sacrifice rightness of relationship in order to be right in an argument. There has to come a time where I say, I release my right to be right in this argument so that I can be right with you. Mm -hmm. My wife is saying amen. 
because she knows I need some of that right now. <laughs> you can weather any storm when your relationships are right. You can weather any storm when your relationships are right. See, righteousness is the ability to do right by God and others, even in the midst of a storm. Righteousness is the act of resisting the temptation to take vengeance. Because when I'm shaken, the first thing that happens is I surrender my righteousness. And I want to take vengeance on the one who shook me. I want to retaliate. The opposite of righteousness is retaliation. Taking vengeance. And vengeance is not always bloodshed. It's not just an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Sometimes it's a word for a word. Sometimes it's an insult for an insult. A cold shoulder for a cold shoulder. You ignored me? I'm going to ignore you. And my righteousness just went out the door. Because I returned evil for evil when Jesus commanded me not to return evil for evil. But to return evil with good. Now we see this playing out very clearly in the story of David and a man named Nabal. In 1 Samuel chapter 25 and Nabal was a very unfortunate names. You know, there's been some very unfortunate names over the years. But Nabal was one of those real unfortunate names. Because the name Nabal means fool. Can you imagine what his parents were thinking when they named their son Fool? Fool, get in here and wash these dishes. Where's that fool at? It's dinner time. Tell that fool to wake up and go to school. Fool! Can you imagine being called fool your entire life? I actually blame his parents for everything that's getting ready to go down in this story. But David had done right by Nabal. And so he naturally expected that Nabal would do right by him. That's unrealistic. You cannot expect that everyone that you do right by is simply going to do right by you. Because you've done right by them. Not everybody that you do right by is going to do right by you. You're going to have some Nabals in your life, and you're probably dealing with a Nabal right now. Just because you do a good job at work doesn't mean you're going to get the promotion. You may get passed over for the promotion because you might be working for a Nabal. Just because you were nice to your husband doesn't mean your husband's going to be nice to you. You might be married to a Nabal. And if we, can, if we can keep it real, every married person has a Nabal moment once in a while. When you confess to your wife, you need to say, I'm sorry, I was a Nabal yesterday. I was Nabal. But I'm coming out of Nabal. I'm getting free of Nabal. If you're not dealing with a Nabal in your life right now, get ready because Nabal is coming. You are going to have to deal with Nabal sometime in your life. And you're dealing with Nabal at any point at which you've done right by someone and they respond by doing wrong by you. Anytime you've been good to someone who does not appreciate the good that you've done for them, maybe it's your son or your daughter who does not appreciate all of the love that you've poured out for them over the years. Maybe it's your mom or your dad. Maybe it's your wife or your husband. Maybe it's your uncle or your aunt. Maybe it's your brother or your sister. Maybe it's your best friend that you cared for for years but never recognized what you did for them. You're dealing with a Nabal at some place in your life, somebody who doesn't appreciate you the way you deserve to be appreciated. Somebody who doesn't reciprocate. Somebody who doesn't understand what they have in you, the gift that they've been given. And so David expected Nabal to appreciate him. He had done right by Nabal. See, Nabal was a very wealthy man, and he had flocks and herds, and he had servants, and and he had shepherds, and they would be out with his flocks and herds, and David was a gangster. I mean, he really was. Like, he had a gang of 600 men. I mean, they were thugs. 
And David watched over Nabal. He saw this rich man and he thought, you know what? I think that if I help this dude by protecting his shepherds, making sure none of his sheep go missing, making sure his flocks and herds are protected, making sure that the wolves don't get him, the lions don't get him, the bears don't get him, and the bandits don't get him. I think if I'm nice to this guy, I think he'll be nice to me in return. So he told all 600 of his men... He said, don't touch this man Nabal's stuff. Matter of fact, I want you to protect this man Nabal's stuff. And time and again, bandits would come by and they would be getting ready to rob Nabal, but they would look and they would see David's gangster armed guards standing there. Like, what's up? What's up? You want something over here? Yeah, keep walking. Keep walking. <laughs> David and his men protected Nabal again and again and again. And so when David heard that it was harvest time and Nabal was shearing his sheep and in good spirits, he grabbed a few of his dudes. He said, go on into Nabal's camp. Walk up to Nabal and say, we are the men of David. Surely he's heard of me. Of course he's heard of me. Everybody knows me. I'm like one of the most famous gangsters in all the land. Everybody's heard about me. Go tell him that David sent us to him. And remind him what we've done for him. Remind him that we've watched over him. We've been a shield about him day and night. Remind him that nothing has ever gone missing of his flocks as long as we've been around. And just ask him to give us whatever he can spare. And so David's men, they go to Nabal. They say, we're servants of David. And we come with a message from David, and he says, we've watched over you day and night, we've been good to you, now please give us whatever you could spare. Do you hear the language? Just whatever you got. Whatever's left over. You know, if you got an extra loaf of bread that you don't need, just pull it out of the cabinet. We would love to have it. And some peanut butter, maybe, you know. (laughs) You know, maybe a few eggs. I mean, if you got anything, some milk, some cereal... Just send us whatever you got. Whatever We'll take anything. We'll take the leftovers. We'll take the small stuff. We'll take the bread ends if that's what you got. We'll take some bags of popcorn if that's what you got. I mean, we'll take whatever you've got. Just whatever you have to spare. And Nabal said, what? Who? And they said, you know, David. I said, David? I don't know any David. I've never heard of David. You know, a lot of slaves are running away from their masters these days. He might be one of them. You know what? Tell David he ain't getting nothing from me. And the men were like, for real? It's like, yeah. So it's like that? Yeah, it's like that. I said, all right, all right. Watch. Watch. The men go back to David and they report to him what Nabal said. Nabal said, who's David? Who's David? So, I mean, he could have just turned you away and said, you know, I'm sorry, guys. I just don't have anything to spare. I mean, that would have been one thing. But he had to insult me. He had to disrespect me. He he did. Wait, tell me again what he said. He said, who's David? He said, I ain't never heard of David. He said, you're probably a slave that ran away from your master. Oh, he called me a slave? It's like that? And when David heard it, he immediately began to experience shaken baby syndrome. Because his brain began to swell. And his brain began to swell to the place where he couldn't think about anything but David. He couldn't think about anything but what David should have got but didn't get. He couldn't think about anything but what this man Nabal did to David that he shouldn't have done. He couldn't think about anything. He forgot about God's promises. There was no room. There's no room for the promises of God in a swollen brain. He forgot about God's word. He forgot about his morality. He forgot about his dignity. He forgot that he was bigger than this. He forgot about his destiny. He forgot about the day that the prophet Samuel showed up at his house with a horn of oil and said, you go get David. I'm not sitting down until he arrives. He forgot that when he walked in the room, the prophet Samuel poured the horn of oil over his head and said, this day I anoint you king over Israel. He'd forgotten about all that. All he could think about was the fact that David had been disrespected. And I pity the fool who disrespects David. I pity the Nabal. And so he looked 
and his 600 men, and he said, he said, I need 400 of y'all. 400 for one fool. And he says, get your straps. I mean, strap on your swords. <laughs> strap on your sword. And they all strapped on their sword. I mean, he told them, get ready for war. We're going to go to war against one fool. Go into war with 400 soldiers against one fool. 400 to one. And he says, arm yourselves. Put on your swords. Put on your swords. 400 men against one fool. He said, I never armed 400 men to go fight against one person. Yeah, but you've been thinking about that person for about 400 hours. Uh-uh. <laughs> 400 days later, you're still thinking about it. You've given that person 400 days. I mean, how much time does that one fool in your life deserve? That 10 years later, you're still thinking about what they did to you, what they said to you, what they took from you, what you lost because of them. Four years later, 40 years later, you're still thinking about it. You've armed your days like soldiers and you've armed your thoughts against, you've got 400 thoughts going around in your brain saying, arm yourself with swords, we're going to kill this person. On the way to kill the fool with 400 men because he had a swollen brain and he had hearing loss. He couldn't hear from God anymore and he had vision loss. He couldn't see what God was doing anymore and he had paralysis. He couldn't move in the direction of the presence of the Lord and the purpose of God over his life anymore. Why? Because he had been shaken. And he had been shaken because in that moment his righteousness went out the window. The result of the loss of righteousness was the intention to commit retaliation. David made the decision to take vengeance for himself. He made the decision to fight for his own rights. He made the decision to fight for what he deserved. He made the decision he's going to give Nabal a piece of his mind. Have you ever been in that place? You said, my boss passed me over for promotion for the last time. Now I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. I'm sick and tired of seeing people claw their way to the top, cheating and stealing, and they get the promotions. I haven't slandered anybody. It's like coming to the place where you begin to believe that there's no reward for righteousness. Retaliate. Maybe you're retaliating against your spouse. Moving on. (laughs) Thank God that God sent an Abigail. Abigail's coming. See, this is the thing. David was shaken for a moment. But whenever you're shaken, even for a moment, the Lord sends an Abigail to unshake you. Because unlike shaken baby syndrome, spiritual shaken baby syndrome can be undone by an Abigail. The scripture says in verse 18 that Abigail acted quickly. She acted quickly. She loaded down two camels full of stuff and she went out in pursuit of David. She had a sense that this was about to be all bad. First of all, she understood that her husband Nabal had done wrong. See, this is the thing. David is going in there to kill everybody. And what he doesn't realize is that Nabal was the only fool in that household who thought that way. See, you tend to think that if one person thinks negatively of you, everybody does. It's just one fool. One fool at your job who doesn't think anything of you. And you feel like everybody thinks that way. David was going to kill everybody because one fool. And he didn't realize what was happening behind the scenes in that house was that the servants heard it. And they ran to Abigail, who was Nabal's wife. And they said, if you don't do something, we're going to be in trouble. Because I saw the look on the faces of those men. And they were going back to David. And I've heard about David. David is no joke. You don't mess with David. Did you know what your husband said? He said, who is David? She said, oh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. He said, who is David? If you don't do something quick, David's going to come in here and kill everybody. And she said, oh, Lord, bring me them donkeys. And they brought over the donkeys and loaded them down. And she went out after David. 
Now watch this. When she meets David on the road, the scripture says she immediately jumped down off of her donkey and fell on her face before David. She, she, stopped, his, she stopped his vengeance, first of all, with humility. Amen. She humbled herself before David. And what she did was she acknowledged the folly of Nabal. Verse 25, she said, pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. He's a fool. You know what she's saying? She humbles herself, but then the first thing she says is, David, you shouldn't even be paying this any attention. You shouldn't waste your time even thinking about this fool. Why are you wasting, why are you thinking so much about this? And the word of the Lord to you today is you need to stop paying attention to Nabal. I mean, you pay so much attention to Nabal. You're thinking about him day and night. She says, pay no attention to this wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. And this is bigger than you, Dave. You're bigger than this, David. So she acknowledged the folly of Nabal. And then in verse 28, she reminded him of his destiny. She said, the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. She reminds him, don't you rip? Did you forget you're about to be king? And this dude wouldn't give you some toast and eggs? And you're about to be king? Don't you realize you're going to have a royal palace on a hill in Jerusalem? You're going to be king over the entire nation of Israel? And you're mad that this fool didn't give you some milk? The thing that you're mad about is so small compared to God's intended destiny for your life. You're mad that you didn't get a promotion. God might be setting you up to have your own company. You have no, I mean, and and you do have an idea because you've received 27 prophetic words about what God is getting ready to do. But one Nabal wouldn't give you some milk and some syrup and some collard greens or whatever it was he didn't give you. And you're all bent out of shape. She reminded him of his destiny. She said, the Lord is going to give you a lasting dynasty. You know what? Not only are you going to be king, but your sons after you are going to be king. You're going to have a lasting dynasty. She reminded him of what God promised him when he was a little boy. Don't you remember the day the prophet Samuel stood in front of you and poured the horn of oil? I mean, the fame of that day had spread all the way to Nabal's house. And his wife had heard about it. So when she heard David was coming to kill everybody... She's like, you mean our future king, David? You got to remember who you are. You got to remember the destiny that God has over your life. You got to pick, because the moment you forget, now you've got to fight the temptation to retaliate. Thirdly, she restored him to his identity. Verse 28b, the end of verse 28, she said, you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Isn't it interesting that he's on the way to kill everybody? And she says, no, you're not going to do it. That's not who you are. You fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. You would never do this. That's not who you are. It's not in your character. No wrongdoing. It's interesting that she established him in the truth of his identity when he was getting ready to do the opposite of it. He was getting ready to, and she could have said, David, you wicked, detestable man. The Lord has set you up and given you all these promises. Now you're going to do this? You're about to kill my husband? (laughs) But instead, she establishes him in the truth. She says, what you're about to do, it's not the truth. It's not who you are. That's a lie. The truth is that you fight the Lord's battles. That's who you are. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. And then she reconnected him to the promise. In verse 29, the scripture says, Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a a sling. That language, that's some of the, 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 the most outstanding poetic language in scripture. She says, Even if someone is pursuing you to take your life, The Lord your God has bound up your life in the bundle of the living. Your life will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. She says, David, don't you know that nobody can kill you? Even if somebody was pursuing you to take your life, your life will be bound securely within the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. I mean, he has his hand on you so strong that even if somebody was trying to take something from you, they couldn't succeed. Why? You're in God's hands. 
You can't take something from me. I'm in God's hands. My God provides for me. Nabal can't take anything from you, David. She says, but your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. It's like God's going to take those who oppose you, put them in his sling, swing them around over his head, and release them. Goodbye. He's going to hurl them away as from the pocket of a sling. Don't you know that even if somebody does oppose you, you don't have to worry about it because the Lord is going to fight against them for you? You know, just recently, I can't tell you the situation, but there's a situation in which I was driven out somewhere out of a particular situation. And I didn't think of anything of it. I thought I deserved it. I thought, you know. And I got a call recently, and, and, and somebody said, do you realize you were discriminated against? I said, I was. Not racially, but a different kind of discrimination. I said, really? They were like, yes, you stood in the way of their agenda, and they had to get rid of you. I said, really? I didn't even know it. <laughs> you ever woke up and realized that you'd been wronged, and you didn't even realize you had been wronged? And I thought about it, and I said, Lord, you know, wow, I didn't even realize that was going on. And the Lord said, son, even if you weren't bothered by it, I was bothered by it. I mean, the Lord spoke it clearly to me. He said, they drove you out, and I will not let that stand. They drove you out, and I will not let that stand. And I was like, oh, dang. Man, my God feels about me that way? you got to know that that's how your God feels about you. He's not going to let something go down. He sees what happens to you, and he cares. And he's upset with people that mistreat his children. Even if you didn't even know you were mistreated, he sees it. I mean, I'm watching over my daughter. Sometimes she's too young to know that she's being mistreated. But you better believe if somebody's mistreating her, I'm right there. We were at the playground. <laughs> we, were, we were at the playground a couple weeks. See, I'm one of those dads that, you know, I speak and then I'm like, okay, calm down. That was a, kid. That was a little kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, <laughs> but she was on the slide and there was this little girl up there that was just throwing kids down the slide. And I jumped up, and as soon as my daughter got up there, she pushed her down the slide. I said, hey, no pushing. <laughs> and then I realized she was like four years old. <laughs> and I thought her dad was going to jump out the bushes and attack me or something, you know. And I'm like, <clears throat> no pushing. <laughs> but you know, it was, was a trip was for my daughter. It was like fun, you know, because... Because she went down the slide so much faster, you know? So she pushed her and she went, yay, we! I'm like, hey, no pushing! Don't be pushing. I'm watching you. You don't have to know you've been done wrong. God wants to take you to the place where you're not even aware of it. Somebody takes something from you, you go, oh, oh, okay. Lord, you must have something better. And let the Lord deal with them. Let the Lord deal with them. I mean, God is watching you. And the people who mistreat his children, God's like, ooh, wait, get you. I told you before, I was in high school and I was at, I was was a first year college and I took, I was directing a choir, a high school choir, and I took him to an event. We were the only, we were the only mixed um, ethnicity group there. Uh, All the kids in my choir were from East Oakland. And uh, I put them up on the platform to sing, and I and I was and the, and the place went wild. There's about a thousand kids there, and they started cheering when they saw us come up. And um, I didn't hear, but I was moving the microphones, and the sound man was at the back. And apparently, he said over the loudspeaker, "Do not move the microphones." But I didn't hear him, so I moved, my my choir was smaller than these other choirs, so I had to move the microphones in. He shut us off. He turned off the mics. And so this auditorium seats three thousand people. My choir singing, nobody can hear us. Well, I mean, it was faint. You know, so, but I didn't know it. I'm having a great time up there. You know, I'm directing, they're singing. And when it was over, everybody cheered. I'm like, yay. And so we came down off the platform and, and our sound man said, that's what happens when you mess with a sound person. I said, what happens? He said, he shut you off up there because you moved his microphones. I said, he did? He said, yeah, he told you not to move him. You moved him anyway. I said, oh, I didn't hear that. To me, it's not a big deal. Oh, well. All of a sudden, I hear my dad thundering coming down from where the sound man is. My dad's like, I'm going to mess with them because he's messing with my son. (laughs) My dad looked like he wanted to strangle him with his bare hands. I was like, oh, snap. (laughs) And the sound guy could hear him, too. I mean, he didn't care. He was like, (laughs) you know, I was like, wow, I didn't even know I was mistreated. But my father did. And he wasn't going to let that pass. 
God wants to take you to the place where you don't even realize you're being mistreated because you're living with such expectation of what God's getting ready to do in your life. You know that Abigail's coming. See, God wants to take you past the place where you're focused on Nabal. He wants to focus you on Abigail. Abigail's coming. Forget about Nabal. Amen. Glory. So she reconnected him to the promise. Then she revealed to him the grace of the moment. Look at verse 30. She says to David, When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. She says, When God fulfills his promise and makes you king, You can thank me for the fact that you will not look back on this day and regret what you did. Isn't that the worst feeling in the world? (laughs) Saying something, and as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you're thinking, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) That wasn't right. (laughs) Yeah, I can't get that one back. (laughs) That one's gone. There's nothing worse than regret. Abigail showed up to rescue David from the grip of regret. And she said, you'll look back and thank me. Some of you today, you're going to look back and thank me. Because I'm your Abigail today. When I say Abigail's coming, Abigail is here. The word of the Lord is your Abigail. The word of the Lord is coming to stop you in your tracks and say, don't take vengeance. Don't try to fight for what you think is right for you. Don't try to take back from people what, that which you think they took from you. Don't fight for it. Let the Lord fight for it. The Lord is working behind the scenes to set you up. I can think of so many. I used to, I used to think back on what was taken from my family and think, how could they have done that? Nobody can take anything from me. I'm a child of God. Nobody can take anything from you. You're a child of God. David went out to avenge himself, but Abigail was already on the way. I mean, think of this. What if David would have just chuckled when he heard the report from his men about Nabal? He's sitting there, and guys come in, and he says, Okay, did you get the stuff? No, uh, Nabal didn't give us anything. Well, why not? Well, David, you're not going to like this. Well, tell me. Well, he said, who is David? I never heard of no David. He said, who is David? Yep. And he said, you're probably a slave that ran away from his master. (laughs) And what if David would have went, ha, 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 ha. That dude is a fool. (laughs) Oh, well. He's going to have to deal with the Lord for that one. Yeah. Guess the Lord's going to have to provide for us some other way. Yeah. All right, guys. Back to hacky sack. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever they were doing. <laughs> Whose turn is it? He would have been pleasantly surprised when all of a sudden one of the guys said, Look, there's somebody coming with donkeys. And he looks up, and this woman enters the gate with a few servants and donkeys loaded down. Now, wait a minute. In verse 7, do you remember what he asked for? He said, whatever you can find. Whatever you can find. But do you see what Abigail brought to him? Look at this. She brought him 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and two hundred cakes of pressed figs, all loaded on donkeys. That's more than whatever you can find. (laughs) David wants to kill a man for not giving him whatever you can find. When all the while God has sent Abigail with two donkeys loaded down with abundance. He's mad about not getting spare change, but God has an abundant feast on the way to him right now. It was already in process, and he wasted his time sharpening his sword 
to go kill a man that wouldn't give him spare change. And God's provided the feast. What if she came into town with these donkeys and David's like, hey, who are you? And she falls on her face. She's like, hey, no worries, it's cool. Please don't kill us, take this stuff. I wasn't going to kill you, why would I kill you? Because my husband disrespected you. I don't pay attention to fools. My honor comes from the Lord, not man. I'm not mad at you for not knowing who I am. I didn't even know who I was till God told me. So why would I be mad when you don't know who I am? You don't even know my God. How are you going to know me? Isn't that what Jesus said? You don't know me because you don't know him who sent me. So why would I be mad at you for not knowing me? But thanks for the food. We'll take it. Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard. Mind has not conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. Did you hear that? Paul says, your mind has not conceived. Your eyes haven't seen. Your ears haven't heard. Your minds have not conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God is in the business of giving revelation. God has revealed them to us by his spirit. That means that by the spirit, God is able to open your eyes so that your eyes can see, your ears can hear, your mind can conceive what he's prepared for you. And as you're looking to the things that God has prepared for you, you're not worried about the things that man has withheld from you. Keep it, Nabal. Keep it. Why? I just got a revelation that God is preparing a feast for me so you can keep your figs, your raisins. Keep it. Abigail's coming. That's what the Lord showed me. Abigail's coming. She's got donkeys loaded down with abundance. And this is the thing that you need to know. Some of you here, you're looking at your financial condition and you realize that your finances were ruined by a Nabal. Throughout this whole situation, David was upset because I could have had something if it wasn't for this Nabal. Some of you have in the back of your heads, if my parents had taught me how to handle money when I was young, maybe I wouldn't have squandered all my money when I I grew up. You feel like (laughs) you don't have what you should have because of a Nabal. Some of you are thinking, if I didn't marry that spouse who had all of that debt. (laughs) I would have had something. My finances were ruined by a Nabal. If I wasn't listening to those friends who told me to quit that job, maybe I could have been something, because my friend who stayed at that job got eight promotions already and is making six figures but I listened to some Nabals who told me to quit that job. Your finances have been ruined by some Nabal. And maybe you're your own Nabal. Because you're so mad at yourself because of what you did to your own finances. And you want to take vengeance against yourself. And so you've punished yourself by isolating yourself relationally. Or you've punished yourself by eating yourself half to death. Or you've punished yourself. You've punished yourself by believing that you never will have anything. And so as soon as you get something, you spend it immediately so that you can get back to that place where you never will have anything. 
You punish yourself because you're so used to being broke that as soon as you get something, you can't believe that you can be anything but broke. And so you get back to broke as quickly as possible because it is your natural habitat. You know what you need to do is release Nabal today and embrace Abigail. God wants to kill the Nabal in you. He doesn't want to kill the Nabal with you. I'm talking about the one you're married to or the one you work for or the one you share an office with. He wants to kill the Nabal in them. The end of the story, God killed Nabal. Scripture said the hand of the Lord was against him. The Lord smote him and killed him. And then David took his wife. I tell you, that Old Testament, (laughs) they did things a little differently. (laughs) But the point of the story is that David's encounter with Abigail was not an isolated incident. He said in Psalm 23, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. After that situation, Abigail followed him him all the days of his life. You know what Abigail represents? She represents wisdom in the midst of the storm. That from that day forward, every time David rose up to avenge himself, he had Abigail right there. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You remember later on when Absalom took over the kingdom? He had Abigail there to say, "Don't, don't kill him. Don't kill him. When he was being driven out and Shimei was throwing rocks at him and said, get out of here, you bloodthirsty man. Get out of here, you bloodthirsty man. And his, his mighty man grabbed a sword. Abishai grabbed a sword and said, I'm going to go cut this dog's head off. And David said, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm not going to fight my own battles anymore. The Lord will avenge me. The Lord, maybe the Lord will see this and have mercy on me. He learned. Why? Because Abigail followed him all the days of his life. Abigail was there speaking into his life. David, don't do it. Don't avenge yourself. Let the Lord fight your battles. Stop fighting your own battles, David. Some of you have encountered Abigail today. And she's going to follow you all the days of your life. The spirit of Abigail. The spirit of Abigail. And some of you think, what, I'm just supposed to take it and 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 take it? How many years can I take it before I finally retaliate? You know how many years I've been suffering this abuse? At some point, I'm going to crack. No, I'm not telling you got to take it and take it and take it. I'm telling you got to take it to the Lord and 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 take it to the Lord. The problem is you're taking it and keeping it. And you can't do that forever. But you can cast all your cares and sorrows on him because he cares for you. And you can do that over and over again for the rest of your life. I'm telling you, you can make a decision today. You're not going to fight Nabal. I know this. I'm talking about finances. This is a financial one thing. But it applies to so many different areas of your life. You feel like I should be so much further ahead. I've been held back because of some fool who ruined me. Some fool who took from me what was rightfully mine. Some fool. What that fool could have gave you was pennies. Abigail is bringing abundance. The righteous will never be shaken. Did you hear that? The righteous will never be shaken because righteousness is in and of itself the refusal to be shaken. Righteousness is rightness of relationship. And the Nabal spirit is the decision to retaliate when it feels like wrong has been done to you. But Jesus says, do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. 
He said, if someone slaps you on your right cheek, offer him your left cheek. If someone takes your coat, give him your shirt as well. If someone says, walk a mile with me, walk two miles with him. He says, you're not going to respond to evil with evil. You're going to repay evil with good. And that's where your righteousness comes. That's the decision to say, I'm not going to be shaken by this. I know I didn't get what I thought I should have got, but I'm not going to be shaken by this. I know it didn't turn out the way I thought it would turn out, but I'm not going to be shaken by this. And you were shaken in the past because you were an infant and you didn't know it. You were like David, shaken for a moment. But the word of the Lord is coming to head you off in the path. Because you're getting ready to do something terrible. You're getting ready to make a decision. You're getting ready to walk away from something that you shouldn't walk away from. Because you're so tired of dealing with Nabal. You're getting ready to quit something that you should not quit. You're getting ready to fight for yourself in a way that you should not fight. And the word of the Lord is coming to head you off at the pass. Say, don't do it. Don't do it. Remember the promise. Remember the promise the Lord is going to restore. The Lord is going to restore. Don't you know that your life is bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God? Don't you know it? Don't you know it? You can't lose. You're a child of the King. You're a child of the King. Jesus said to his disciples, fear not, little flock. Fear not. For your Father knows what you have need of before you ask. Your Father knows. Your father knows, and he's already working to vindicate you. He's already working. Speaking of this situation I'm telling you about, I said, Lord, I don't want to face these people. Drive them out first, and then bring me back in. And the Lord said, no. I'm getting ready to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I want them to be there to see it. You know, if you don't let the Lord prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies, there's absolutely no chance for him to restore and redeem your enemies. Sometimes all your enemy needs to see is you being highly favored by the Lord before they come to their senses and say, hold on a second, I I wasn't right. Hold on a second. You know what you need to do? Forgive. That's what the Abigail spirit does. David should have heard it. He said, Lord, I released Nabal from that. As Jesus did on the cross. Jesus embraced the Abigail spirit on the cross. He didn't embrace the Nabal spirit. What? They nailed me to a cross? Father, send legions of angels and kill them all. That's what he could have done. That's it. He could have taken vengeance in a moment. But instead he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive him. You know why? Because he knew that the camels were coming. He knew that the camels of Abigail were coming, loaded down with the riches of the kingdom of heaven. He knew that even if he endured the cross and despised its shame, that afterward he would be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He knew that exaltation was coming. He knew what was coming. Bow your heads today. Father, strengthen and encourage each one right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're resting on every heart and every mind. Lord, there's many in this room right now that feel like they've suffered loss. They've suffered loss. They've suffered loss. Many feel like they've suffered loss in their marriage from a spouse that's mistreated them for years. Many feel like they've suffered loss in relationship to their children. How come my children don't don't appreciate me? Many feel like they've suffered loss in their work. How come my job doesn't appreciate me? I haven't been compensated the way I should be compensated. Whatever it is, you feel like that there's some place in your life where you're dealing with a Nabal. Lord, there's some in this room that have been tempted to retaliate. Retaliate with my words. Retaliate with my actions. Even passive aggression. I'm just going to ignore you. It's still retaliation. But God, I pray that you'd lift that Nabal spirit. Because Lord, some of us, in dealing with fools, we become fools ourselves. David was about to become a Nabal because he met a Nabal. And may we not become Nabals because we're dealing with the Nabal. I pray that you would give us that Abigail spirit, that spirit of wisdom. It says, don't fight. Don't fight. Don't fight. 
Don't fight. Don't repay evil with evil. Don't do it. Don't do it. Let the Lord do it. Let the Lord take care of you. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shield at your right hand. Father, I just speak your blessing over this house right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I say vengeance and retaliation is being removed from every heart, from every heart, from every mind. Every desire to retaliate, it's breaking right now. It's breaking right now. In the name of Jesus, you're releasing it right now. You're releasing it right now. You're releasing it right now. You're not going to marshal another one of your thoughts to go kill Nabal. You're not going to waste another moment thinking about him. You're not going to waste another moment thinking about what was done to you, who hurt you, who harmed you. You're going to release it. And especially in the realm of your finances, you're not going to waste your time thinking about what you lost because of some fool, what was taken from you, or even what you did to bring about that loss. Abigail's coming. I just speak rest to your hearts and minds right now. In the name of Jesus, I just speak rest. I want you to just take a moment right now before the Lord with your own voice, just release that Nabal. Just begin to talk to God right now. Say, God, I release, I release, I forgive. Yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. Yes, Lord. Say it out loud. Don't just meditate it. you got to talk, talk to God. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Oh, there is healing, restoration. Yes. Yes, there's more coming. There's more coming. What you lost is nothing. He's going to restore the years that the locusts have eaten, the swarming locusts. He's going to restore. He's going to restore. He will restore. He will restore. He will restore. Begin to anticipate the coming of Abigail. Abigail is coming. Her donkeys are loaded down with great provision. Begin to rejoice. Abigail is coming to your marriage. Abigail is coming to your marriage, to your family, to your children. Whatever it is, begin to release it to the Lord right now. Thank you for it, Father. Now, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around us. I just want to take a moment. I want to talk to you today if you're here and you have not embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to say to you that Jesus is reaching for you today. I want to say that he loves you with all of his heart. And I want to say that we love you too. There's nothing that we love more than to see individuals who don't know Jesus make a decision to invite him into their hearts. And if you're here today, maybe you just felt a stirring in your heart. You felt a stirring in your mind. I'm not talking to people that have embraced Christ again and again and again. This is not for backsliders. I'm talking to someone here today. You say, I've never made the decision. I mean, I've never made an active decision. Jesus, come into my life. I surrender my life to you. If that's you today, if that's you and you're here and you say, I'm ready. I'm talking about taking a step. I'm not talking about a completion. The day you embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's like your wedding day. A wedding is not a marriage. It's the beginning of a marriage. But a marriage is walking together every day. I'm talking about your wedding day with Christ. Not in that sense, but to making a decision to begin your relationship with Him. You say, well, i got five things I need to fix in my life before I come to Him. No, you don't. Forget about those five things. Bring them to him. Let him change them. He doesn't have a prerequisite to say, if you want to come to me, you, gotta, you can't be doing any of these things. No, he says, come to me as you are. Bring me those things. Bring them to me. I will help you. I will heal you. You can spend the rest of your life trying to fix those things, or you can come to Jesus and let him fix them. It's just about making a decision to trust him with those things. If you're here today, you say, I'm ready to take that step. I'm ready to begin my journey with Christ. If that's you, nobody's looking around, lift your hand right where you are. Just lift it. I just want to pray with you for a moment. I want to shake your hand. If you're here, anyone. 
Amen. Well, Father, I thank you that every word spoken today has settled into every heart and every mind like seed in good soil. I pray, Father, that as the days go by, you would continue to water this word with the the spirit of the living God. And I pray and I believe and I declare that this word will bring forth the harvest some 30, 60, and 100 fold. And I give you all of the glory for it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Stand up on your feet right now. Lift your hands to the Lord. I bless you with the blessings of the Lord. The blessings of heaven and the blessings of earth. With abundance. With wisdom. The wisdom to ignore Nabal. And to expect Abigail. And I say that abundance is coming. And I release you into the abundance of Christ. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Give God a shout of praise.